On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group begins their discussion of Russia's permanent waves. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands, album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends Tom Corcoran, Ken Gregory, and Paul Zotter as we begin our discussion of Russia's permanent waves. While we kind of settle into this, I, I, I do want to take uh, a quick step back to the uh, to the twenty one twelve episode. And I don't know if you guys remember, there were two references in that Wikipedia summary of twenty one twelve um, that uh, were mentioned. So one was the one thousand and one albums you have to hear before you die which I actually right. ordered today, so we can oh talk about God. that. <laughs> I got the updated versions, so yeah. we'll see. But the other one was the Rolling Stone Reader's Poll of your favorite prog rock album of all time. Yeah. So I pulled up that list. I've seen that list, too. Okay. So then you know we have to throw out number one because it was rigged. Yeah, it was. It was, and it, it, But it's, yeah, you're right, yeah. Yeah, so it was Dream Theater, but but just moving down that list, I thought it was interesting just to kind of cover it. So ten was Moving Pictures, nine was King Crimson's Red, which I guess was um, when Robert Fripp had brought in Wetton and Bill Bruford, and they did it as a three piece. Eight was Hemispheres, seven was Selling England by the Pound, six was In the Court of the Crimson King. Five was The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. Four was Dark Side of the Moon. Three was Close to the Edge. And two was 2112. Now, I disagree with 2112 being at the top of it, but, you know, hey, it's it's an interesting list. And basically, it's 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 a Rush um, Genesis King Crimson list, which is weird. Well, it's, hmm. I don't think it's weird considering that it was a poll of Rolling Stone readers. Well, yeah, and, and that's, yeah. So when you start polling Rolling Stone readers, you have to sort of have a lot of caveats and whatnot with it. And, I'll, but, and, and, and so the number one selection, as Joe mentioned, was Dream Theater's uh, Met, Metro, Metro, Metropolis. Metropolis uh, Part 2. Yeah, which is a fantastic album and probably one that certainly deserves some time on Progressive Palaver. But... Uh, yeah, it was totally rigged. They put it on their website, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure King Crimson or anyone else or Marillion <laughs> didn't put it on their website because they don't read uh, Rolling Stone either. So, so yeah, it was totally rigged, and they all voted for that. It was, like, a quite, quite up along in that, in that list, I didn't think. Yeah, it was uh, – I just thought that was interesting. I just wanted to see. So I think um, when I get that book, we can we – can, uh, <laughs> you know, 
maybe have some some conversations about that. See what it's all about. You know, nice. can't be can't be bad just to have on the old desk here to go through. So is the, is the update to the one thousand and one records? Is it is it more than one thousand and one now, or did they it's, actually it's, bump it's still one thousand one? Which okay. which leaves which leaves the OCD part of me wondering if I needed to get both copies so I could compare and contrast, but I didn't do that. It's gotta suck. It's gotta suck to lose your one thousand and first position <laughs> in the list. <laughs> Can you imagine? All right, so so uh, so, gentlemen, this is very very exciting. We have uh, we have a new member to the Palaver tonight, Colby. Welcome aboard, Colby. my friend. Glad to have Thank you. On board. you. Yeah, I'm very very excited. So, so now we have your room looks very smoky. Yeah, we we had my phone. He's he's got some camera issues. You remember those? (laughs) Funny, I actually my power button broke, so I actually had to pull my whole phone apart. Maybe uh, I guess it was last month, and I cleaned it out and everything. I thought it would be better once I put it back together, but (laughs) not so much. I, I don't take selfies or anything, so I never notice it until something like this. <laughs> well, there you go. So, so I've got that Triple uh, Shepherd uh, moonlighting haze about me. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, I, I like I said, I consider it artistic. I like it. I mean, we are talking about prog rock, after all. That's the point. Smoke machine, like, right? Right. <laughs> well, and it, yeah, so. Rush's uh, marijuana usage actually came into play in some of these uh, these other podcasts that I was listening to this week. So we've uh, so we, we've we've reconvened tonight to continue our Rush discussion and move into permanent waves. And um, you know, so Colby since. Since you are, you know, new to the palaver, I did want to give you the opportunity, if you did have any sort of, you know, uh, overall thoughts on the the earlier part of the Rush catalog that has already been covered, you know, we would be very welcome to, uh, you know, to hear your thoughts on Hemispheres or 2112 or, or any of the albums. That- well, I might um It's been a long time since I've listened to anything before Permanent Wave, to be honest with you. Okay. Um, Hemispheres probably being the exception, but um, yeah, no, I practiced with Permanent Waves because I knew we were talking about it. So I did my research. I listened to it over and over again until I actually started to get a little tired of it. (laughs) So (laughs) That means you did it properly. I did. And I, I think I shared with you, it's actually, I've spent the last two years uh, digitizing all my CDs pretty much. So they're all done. And I only have like six CDs still left out of boxes and they're all in my uh, truck CD changer. One of which is permanent wave. So sort of serendipitous. Wow. Nice. Yeah. So you know, it was very fortuitous that I reached out when I did. Exactly. It was good timing. Was it because serendipitous or was it fortuitous? <laughs> I think I think both of those will go into the the progressive palaver dictionary. <laughs> if I can get my freaking OneDrive to open up any files. Yeah, well. So. Booting Chrome. So I was I was sort of preambling, and um, you know I, I've I've listened to a couple of different podcasts this week. Um, trying to get sort of a, a greater feel for 
for what other Rush fans may think about um, this album. And I'm trying to find here what the podcast I actually listened to. Um, I listened to Stellar Dynamics, which was a, a good one. And, of course, oh, here we go. Leave That Thing Alone, which is, leave that thing alone. These are the two guys who really, really have a great time together, but they have vastly, wildly different opinions on uh, on Russian music. Certainly from me, and I know I'm not always representative of the... Uh, of the palaver as a whole. And uh, I believe, was it this one? Yes. Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. So I listened to that one as well. Um, all pretty good stuff. I want to say, and I'll have to go back and check this, but I'm pretty sure it was the Stellar Dynamics guy did a spectacular, spectacular sort of coda at the end of, of his podcast where he, he spent probably five minutes talking about rush time signatures, which was just, wow. it was awesome. I loved it. <laughs> really, really, really enjoyed that. But, but I was surprised to find out that um, Permanent Waves was not sort of, you know, received as warmly as I would have thought. And in fact, the guys on... Um, on Leave That Thing Alone, um, not only were they not particularly fond of permanent waves, they were very, very unhappy with the second half of 2112. Um, circumstances in particular drew a bunch of ire from them, um, sure. as well as um, you know, Hemispheres didn't fare very well. So I'm kind of curious to follow along with that podcast and see what they actually did like. So that'll be kind of fun. But in the meantime, wow. if, if if I may, we are here to discuss Permanent Waves, which... Is it, isn't released. Circumstances on Hemispheres? Yes, it is. Good call, Tom. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Well played. Yeah, well, they still hate the back half of 2112, too. So. Okay. All right. Yes, but, but good catch. Uh, right. You know, once I've moved past them, I can't keep track of them anymore. So, Permanent Waves is interesting because I've heard different release dates for it. If you look at the Wikipedia page, it's it's listed as the 14th of January, 1980. Um, I've heard on two of these podcasts, someone mentioned January 1st, 1980, and someone else mentioned December 31st, 1979. So, somewhere right around the very beginning of 1980, Permanent Waves was released. It was produced by Rush and Terry Brown, um, released on the label Anthem. Had the normal lineup of Getty, Alex, and Neil. And Permanent Waves is the seventh studio album by the Canadian rock band Rush, released in January 1980 on Anthem Records. After touring to support their previous album, Hemispheres, ended, the band took a short break before they regrouped to work on new material. The, al the album marked a departure in their musical style toward tighter strong song structures and songs more suitable for radio airplay. Permanent Waves was recorded in late 1979 at Le Studio in Morin Heights, Quebec, and with co-producer Terry Brown and mixed at Trident Studios in London. Permanent Waves received a mostly positive reception from critics and became their most successful album at the time of release, reaching number three in Canada and in the United Kingdom, and number four in the United States. The album was certified platinum by the latter 
in the latter by the Recording Industry Association of America for selling one million copies. Rush released The Spirit of Radio, Free Will, and Entree New as singles and supported the album with their 1979 to 1980 tour. So that's where we're at, gentlemen. So, uh, Joe, I just went on uh, the Rush Band's website. And although I did hear on, I think, the documentary known as The Rise of Kings, which I watched recently, um, I think they said it released January 1st on the actual Rush webpage. It says that the album was released on January 14th, 1980. So there you go. I don't know. So let's just put that to bed right now. Okay. Right to bed. <clears throat> now, clearly, as we've been working through the Rush catalog, um, you know, and I think Hemispheres was probably the peak of Rush's progginess and Permanent Waves is a different beast altogether. Um, you know, and we can certainly talk about how and why that might be, what might have driven them there. Is it, is it better? Is it worse? Um, but it, it is clearly different. Um, I think we can all agree on that. And, I mean, you know, it starts out with... I mean, the first two tracks on this album are you know, two of the, the staples of classic rock radio that we all grew up with. Um, and, and it's funny because in all of the podcasts that I did listen to, everyone just wanted to walk right through the spirit of radio. You know, they're, they're just like, well, everyone knows the spirit of radio. They've heard it 20,000 times. Let's talk about something else. Um, I don't necessarily want to do that. I, I want to, I, I want to spend a little bit of time with the spirit of radio and, you know, yeah, try, kind of try to, you know, at least discuss it a little bit. I've mentioned previously that um, via my my older brother's, you know, mixtapes that he had recorded off the radio, Entree New was one of the songs that sort of, you know, got me into Rush early on before I even knew really anything that was going on. Um, and, and Entree New as a song at least on what I've listened to this week, does not fare very well in the greater Rush community either. So, um, you know, I'm curious what you guys feel about the, the difference in tone of this album and, you know, does it does it flow naturally from Hemispheres or, or is it a complete departure? I say we kick it on over to Colby first, let him dive right in. <laughs> Well, it's funny, Joe, that you mentioned Entree New because that, for me, going back to this album now, is still one of my favorite songs on that whole album. I don't know whether it's just the simplicity of it. I mean, it's really straightforward, catchy song, in my opinion. Um, and I don't know. I listen to it now, and I think, wow, you know what? That's the one. That, maybe it's because I've heard some of the other ones, like Spirit of Radio and Free Will, so many times. That coming back to Entree New, it just feels kind of fresh. It does feel kind of fresh. I agree. Yeah. When I was listening to it, I felt kind of the same way. Plus, I kind of like the message, but that's just me. That's true, though. I always get hung up on the grammatical problems in the song. <laughs> yeah, well, there is that. I can't help myself. I can't help myself. <laughs> well, Joe, I want to go back to something that um, you were talking about. I, I think that 
permanent ways is sort of um, a melting pot that sort of like melts the two, the prog rock stuff and the newer stuff. Because, I mean, let's not forget that Jacob's Ladder and, and Natural Science are are not like short songs. These are progressive rock songs. And I mean, um, it just so happens that natural science is, is one of my, my favorite songs, but I mean, it's not a short song. And, um, so I think that, um, it, it did bring a lot of, uh, a little bit more access to rush. It certainly did with me. Uh, when I, when I was younger, it was sort of like the first rush album that I really could, I'm not the first rush album, but the earliest rush album that yes. um, I could sink my teeth into. Um, it wasn't the first one that I, I purchased, but I, I didn't really go um, earlier than Permanent Waves, and I it was one that I, I've always enjoyed. And um, But I, I think that you can still get your yayas out, if you will, but with like you know Jacob's Ladder and Natural Science, if you're into the earlier stuff, um, it's sort of um, the best of both worlds. And I think that, um, I mean, for me, I, I feel a little short change with it just because there's only six tracks. I know some of the tracks are longer, but I love this album so much. Um, you know, I, I really want to hear more. And, I, um, if you listen to other albums, I mean, this is probably the shortest album they have. And as far as like the time, you know, the, um, the, to the playtime so i mean you know some have to be shorter um i mean if you look at van halen's earlier stuff i mean their albums are like you know somewhere like 30 minutes or something so but yeah. you know we're not we're not talking about van halen right we're talking about you know rush and a band that um usually has has given us um longer longer albums so i mean there is something to be said for less is more um i think it's a really strong it, it, it's a really strong album but um you know, I'm sort of wishing that they had uh, put more on this because I'm um, when I when I when it's finished, I'm not I'm not finished. I'm, I'm like, okay, this is like this is really moving along. Let's see what else we can do with this. And um, so, you know, it, it's good that it sort of keeps me going. It keeps me wanting more. But um, I mean, to finish with natural science, which is uh, just um, I mean, I think that is just uh, a, a, a real masterpiece. Uh, has real moments where you just you know, jump through your chair, um, you know, jump jump out of your chair, and, and um, you're just really excited about it. I um, it does end on a on a on a, on a big note, so um, I don't know if it, for me there's really a, other than the fact that there's only six tracks that there is a a weak spot on on the CD, and I applaud. The songs that this other you know podcast was you know dissing and i i, I agree with colby you know entree new is is fantastic and um spirit of the radio is is kind of like why you know tom sawyer which we'll be talking about i guess you know next week but um it's sort of a cliche in the rush world but it's it's great every time you hear it i mean it's um it's 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 there's never a time where uh, Spirit of the Radio will, will come on the radio. I'm like, oh, here's Spirit of the Radio. I'm like, all right, where's the volume knob? I don't know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's the same with Tom Sawyer. So, I mean, how many times have we heard Tom Sawyer? But I, yeah. I, can't, I, can't, I can't get enough of it. So, you know, even though, you know, Spirit of the Radio is, um, you know, uh, 
go down as you know one of the classic rock songs that we've heard over and over again um i i still haven't gotten enough of it um so i can't say that about uh, a lot of classic rock songs <laughs> so i um i don't know. i i think it's a it's just a great it's a, it's a great album and um um this was was definitely well i remember when i when i first listened to this it was like okay this is um this is the start of it for me as at least in the timeline so um I, I was really happy to go back with it and revisit it and um just remind myself how great natural science is i mean that's just such an achievement well, and, 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 you know, Tom, hearing what you said, and I think it's interesting, you know, for, for those of us who came into the catalog, you know, later than this, as you start to work back, yeah, I can see where permanent waves would kind of be sort of like that, that line where maybe you don't want to, you know, immediately go past. But, but at the same time, I think you're right in that there are a couple of songs here that eventually will point you, you know, past this back in the catalog you know, into hemispheres or fly by night or whatever. Colby? Yes. Oh, you, you waved your hand up much bit. <laughs> no, I was saying I'm one of the people who came in later. Catalog, oh, so. Perfect. Chewy, yeah. what's on, uh, <laughs> what's, what's um, your thoughts? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I'm with Tom, like this was the first album that I, that I listened to, you know, vinyl, it was a vinyl from my sister's collection that I found and, I started listening to it and not really as like getting into rush, but just as another album that was around the house and I listened to it and I was blown away. I loved it. And Spirit of the radio. I was just starting to either play guitar or think about playing guitar. And I was like, man, I'm, I'm someday I'm totally going to learn this riff and play this, play this song. And, and I've never been able to uh, just for the record. And so it and it was it's funny because I I remember my sisters talking about Rush saying yeah the guy's voice is just really freaky though and I remember listening to this album thinking well the guy's voice doesn't really seem too freaky for me I mean I don't understand what so when I go back and listen to Hemispheres and I'm like okay now I know why they said yeah. that um, but the funny thing is is every Rush album as I got into the band sort of this was the centerpiece. So it was either an album that happened after Permanent Waves or before. And this was always kind of the cornerstone for me. And then as I got into them, I was always sort of, I always categorized the albums in groups of four because that's when they did their their live albums, right? So I always thought of, you know, the first four records and then All the World's Stage. Then, and then I thought, I always thought of this as an attachment to hemispheres, like hemisphere, spirit of the radio, moving pictures, signals, and then exit stage left, right? So, you know, and I had this on a tape with hemispheres when I went to college. So for me, it was always just this centerpiece, and I always attached it more to hemispheres. But I think to your earlier question, Joe, that this album is a departure from hemispheres and the, the quote unquote proggy stuff that that happened before. I think that this album is still very progressive, but I liken it to, you know, the same situation that sort of happened with Yes, when they went from Relayer, they took a break, and in that situation, they all went and did solo albums, and they came back refreshed, and they did Going for the One, which was 
a, a departure from everything else because it was still incredibly progressive, but it was shorter songs. They did a, a better job communicating, I think, the, the, the songs that they had in, sh in a shorter, more compact form. And I feel like this is very similar. They had hemispheres. It was kind of their, their peak. Even for them, they were tired and they, were, they said it was a very difficult album to record. They took a little bit of a break after a tour and they came back and they just kind of, you know, they just kind of cut loose and said, OK, let's just do see what happens here. And they delivered a record that has all of the, the makings of, of a progressive rock, but they did it, you know, with with four songs that are less than six minutes long. And and like you said, staples of classic rock songs. And they did it while still incorporating like giant riffs, incredible rhythmic passages that are difficult to even drum along to in your car. <laughs> all, all of those things they still had in there. So I, I see this as a huge departure. They're at the very top of their game and they are, they are abandoning all of that like sort of self-indulgent stuff to, to deliver the best songs they possibly can. And for me, it works wonderfully across this whole album. And, you know, I, I think that's that's a fascinating point that you've just made, sort of the parallels between maybe this and, and going for the one. And, and I think, you know, as I didn't really pay attention to this, but as we've gone through the first six albums, if you look at, I mean, those were six albums were released at, on a fairly blistering pace. Um, so they were, I mean, it seems like they were going nonstop from the beginning um, in terms of, you know, presumably they were working very hard before they did the first one. You record an album, you tour, you record an album, you tour, you record an album, and, and they just kept going. And and yes, we're doing something fairly similar. Now, obviously, their break was, was somewhat different. But I think in each case, then, what you have is a group of musicians, um, in this case, the exact same group of musicians, who have sort of, and we've seen this musically in terms of, of proficiency on their instruments. They have they have certainly grown together over the last several years. Um, and then then you take that break and you recharge your batteries a little bit. And then suddenly, you know, some things are maybe available that weren't available before. Or you 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 have sort of the the clarity of mind to be able to see different things or think about different things. And, and maybe that's what we're dealing with here, but yeah, it, it's, you know, I, I, I've been excited to get here personally and uh, I have not been disappointed. Yeah. I, I and, you know, these guys are like on the verge of being workaholics, right? Like we're talking about them taking a break. They took a six week break. It, it amounts to them basically taking maternity leave, you know, after after six albums and six years of touring, they yeah. yeah let's take six weeks off and then get right back to it. You know, by today's standards, that's almost absurd. It it really is. Um, I have I have one totally minor beef with with how this album opens, and it has nothing to do with with the songwriting or the recording or anything else. It actually has to do with modern electronics. So. You know, in our cars, are you know, I actually listen to hard <coughs> actual CDs when I have them, and so the CD players in your cars are buffered, right? So when I put in permanent waves, I miss the very opening of Spirit of Radio while it buffers. 
so it kind of comes in, you know, halfway through that 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 first note. You're just oh. like, oh, where's the rest of it? <laughs> it's so can't, annoying. Can't you just hit the back button and start it over? I could, but that's like effort, man. You know. <laughs> Don't you have I'll a just, remote control steering wheel controls? I don't. Yeah, that that's too complicated for me. Um, so I just wait. I just wait for the album to cycle through, and then I listen to it again, and it's it's much better the second time through. Well, one of the my favorite things that I still can't shake was, uh, I, you know, I recorded the the vinyl permanent waves onto a cassette on my yeah. you know serious stereo that I had before I went to college, and Natural Science, um, you know the and you know those stereos had that natural compression kind of thing. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, if they're like natural science, when the um, when the first arpeggiated guitar comes in, right, and it get it's nice and juicy and loud, and yeah. then the, the drums come right in, and it just goes, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I still hear that even even though it's gone now, and when I listen to it, <laughs> I still I still feel that it's crazy. Shall we talk about? The spirit of radio? Yes. <laughs> go for it, Paul. <laughs> Why not? Go for it, Joe. Joe, Joe. Joe is dying to say something about spirit of the radio. No, actually, I'm not. Because I don't know what to say. Honestly, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, having listened to, you know, some of this stuff and, and some of the, you know, some of the knocks against it and everything else, I, there's really nothing about this that, you know, I, I don't like that. Yeah. You know, I think one of the, the, the basic questions around this album that I posted, posited earlier is, you know, is this a progressive album? And, you know, I think, I think the spirit of radio, as Paul said, is a very progressive song. And I think that naturally sort of comes about because, you have here again, you have three very talented individuals and, you know, Neil is so, so Getty and Alex are, are very good at what they do. And, and Neil is singular in what he does. Um, if you think about, you know, we've already talked about, we've already talked about yes. And, you know, they've had the, the benefit of having, you know, Chris Squire was singular in terms of of how he approached a bass within a song. I, I, I'm not quite sure there are many other people on the planet quite like Rick Wakeman. And we've also mentioned that that Steve Howe has his own complete thing going. And so what happens? And it's funny because you know the the influence of those three individuals, and of course John Anderson's voice is also you know completely unique and so you have like throughout yes there's sort of this ebb and flow of of those different individuals um sort of coming to the forefront and then letting someone else do that and everything else and but when you have that when you have that singularity whether it's it's one person or two or four or whatever even when you're 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 using that, and we talked about this a little bit, you know, with uh, with drama, perhaps when you when you're or even going for the one when you're 
when you're using that ability, even in a more focused, shorter song structure, it's still sort of, you can't contain it. It manifests itself. And so for me, you know, I, I think Neil is what takes the spirit of radio beyond, you know, just a, a, a classic rock song. Um, one of the guys I heard was, you know, was, was busting O'Neill for, you know, overplaying everything. And, but for me, that's what makes it because again, I've already made the, the comment on previous episodes. While I appreciate that Neil is, is a busy player. I don't think he's in any way, shape or form ever out of control. And so, you know, for me, that's, that's what really separates this out. I mean, you know, Getty's great and, 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 and Alex is great, but I think it's Neil and his drumming that really puts this over the top. And and the other interesting thing here, you know, we're they've also and again they've taken another big step in terms of of recording and production because you know Getty is still you know singing like he's got his balls in a vice, but you know we're not climbing the walls anymore. It, 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 it's, you know, I don't know if we're used to it, but it just doesn't come across as shrieky at all. It's great. Well, you know, I don't, I, I would say this, there's only, I know we're talking about spirit of the Raider right now, but in free will, there is that last verse where he is screeching at the screaming level of Getty Lee. Oh my God. Right. Yeah. And, um, it's, it's pretty impressive. And it's pretty tame compared to what we've heard before, but it is also the last time we ever hear that register again. Um, I do not believe, even in the highest reaches of moving pictures, that he gets to that screaming level. And that's, I think, one of the things that I, I don't even think I ever thought about it before, again, because of the way I sort of entered into this band. But listening to it the last few days... I realized how much fun it is to sing this album, like while you're driving in the car compared to like trying to sing along with hemispheres because <laughs> that, he's actually singing these right, songs. Yeah. They're terrific melodies. You hear his voice and you know, he is singing and he starts singing every album after this. And I prefer it over the rest of the stuff. You know, and, and maybe that's, maybe that's a reflection of Getty learning how to be a, a better singer since he's already learned how to be a better bass player. I don't know. Mm, so, yeah. so, you know, that's, that's sort of my, my layman's interpretation or, or comments on spirit of radio. Um, hey Joe, before the spirit of radio escapes us, the dynamic breaks, the reggae dynamic breaks are really amazing. And I'm sure all those other podcasts, you know, they skipped over the whole song. They, they didn't stop the brilliance of it, but they, they do it not once. They, they do it twice, and it's brilliant both times they do it. It's just that amazing when they kick back in. And that that is something that I guess they learned from doing Prague, but they made it work in the more condensed format. And, and that, that's kind of what we grew up on. It's like, wow, not only are these guys kind of overplaying, but they're really using dynamics. Fucking brilliant. Love it. Absolutely. Yeah, man. 
totally. And it's it's a whole nother part of the song, right? It you know, you've got you've got a introduction instrumental part of introduction that you just can't even hang on to. It's just it's all over the place. And then it and it resolves into a very reg regular rock and roll beat, turns into a verse chorus, verse chorus, not not very contrived verse chorus, but verses and choruses nonetheless. And then you get this reggae part with this amazing lyric that launches you into all things, an epic guitar solo that, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, there is nothing like contrived about this. And I think that's the thing that I love about it. It is every bit, every piece of progressive music, it dials in reggae. It's, if you want to say overplayed, I think you got to have a pretty big, you know, everyone's got their own set of opinions, but I think you got to have a big set of bass drums to, to say, oh, Neil Peart's overplaying on this song. Um, but it's all happening in such a way that, and, and everybody loves it, and yet the whole song is about how great the radio is and how it's kind of going downhill and you start to question, are we really, you know, taking music in the right way? And, you know, everything that we love just turns into a commodity that gets packaged and sold to us. Um, it, it's, it's genius. And it's, and, and, you know, so you have a song that basically questions the record industry and boom, it's their biggest single to date um, on the radio. I love that shit. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I mean the, um, and, 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 you know, when we talk about the, the, progginess of this of this song you know you do have those different sections which is very proggy the i guess the main difference is the sections don't go on for five minutes at a pop exactly well, well guys i think what we have here is uh, something similar when we were talking about king's x we, uh, how many times did it come up when we were talking about king's x about you know is, is king's x really progressive rock and we would have you know the sort of you know chat about it we didn't really we, it, seemed, it seemed like we were on the same page, but we, we weren't. We really weren't arguing, but it was sort of came up because it, it is an interesting point. Uh, but I think uh, with this and with this album and following albums, we come up with a similar uh, debate where we're like, "Okay, is this progressive rock?" And um, it's. It, it's more progressive rock is is more you're right is more than just a lengthy song it's what's being played um has it been something like this been heard before it's it's what's being sung it's the lyrics um you know going into all the subjects that neil peart uh, goes into with his lyrics we that we that we are not used to hearing that no one was used to, to hearing really um, that makes it progressive rock. And I'm not just talking about the long songs. I'm, I'm talking about, you know, Spirit of the Radio. So sure. um, we have, um, I think, the, the King's X effect, if you will, where um, you know, these, these, shorter, these, these shorter songs um, are, are still a progressive rock. It's just that they're shorter songs, but you, we need to look within the song um, and we see a lot of depth. And I think that depth makes it progressive rock all right i like it yeah me too 
Which but, brings us... Uh-huh. Um, go ahead. Um, well, if I may, I have something, because I mentioned King's X. I have... Um, I won't go too off topic, but I thought um, I like to have like a little fun factoid uh, for <laughs> right. when I, when I uh, listen to all these interviews and um, it, it bridges something about King's X. Uh, so my fun factoid number two um, is, and Colby, for, uh, for your information, the fun factoid number one was the fact that um, Giddy Lee walked out of a Genesis concert um, in disgust, and it wasn't because of Genesis. It was because Lou Reed was uh, came on stage after Genesis, and uh, Giddy Lee was not happy with what Lou Reed was doing, and he and he left the concert. What was he doing? <laughs> what? What was Lou Reed doing while well, he was singing? Yeah. He was, he was not, oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, he, he just he was not digging the music. Apparently, the, the Genesis was so great, um, Lou Reed couldn't couldn't stand up to what um, you know Genesis had done. Um, but anyway, um, the fun factoid number two in the same interview with Getty, and this has to do with <laughs> something that we talked about with King's X having. Um, the Black Like Sunday CD where they brought up all their old stuff that they, you know, the, the, the B-sides and the stuff that didn't make the, the records. And, you know, we had a bit of a debate about, you know, whether they should have done that or not. And um, I thought that they shouldn't have. But um, I thought this was interesting. Getty um, is quoted. Uh, some The interviewer asked Getty if there was a vault of songs that they would um, eventually put out that were B-sides or things that didn't make previous albums. And Getty was very, very um, distinct and uh, specific uh, about this question. And he said, there are no songs in the vault. If it wasn't good enough, we didn't use it. And I found that very interesting because... um, I kind of wish King's X did that, <laughs> but you know, I, I, listen, I, I'm not. I don't. I don't mean to take anything away from King's X. Um, the, you know, it was just that one. Yeah, album. Just that one album. I thought that's what Vapor Trails was. Oh, damn! Oh. Wow. Ouch. <laughs> I forgot about that album actually. Wow. <laughs> okay. So uh, that's awesome, Ken. That's funny. Um, <laughs> anyway, that was um, that's my fun factoid number two. That's a great um, one. I love. I, it. I don't know how they could have had time to have like unknown, un, unreleased stuff because they release an album in January. They basically tour until October, and then they record for two months, and then boom, they have another album and another tour. I, you know, like I don't think I seriously can't even imagine them being like, yeah, yeah, let's not. I mean, they they, they were at such a breakneck pace. It's hard. It's hard to imagine they had anything extra. You know what I mean? That's true. But I mean, you, you know, when you're in the in the moment and you're and you're writing songs, and then you realize, ah, maybe this isn't good enough for the album, and then you, you sort of keep it into. You, yeah, it's probably better. Place, it's know? probably better, Tom, because you know you want more. You you wish there was more to Permanent Waves, 
But then if they release the unreleased tracks from Permanent Waves, you probably be like, oh, these suck. This is like Black Like Sunday. It's it's definitely a double edged sword. So uh, I'll I'll take that, Paul. Uh, I'll take that as a blessing that um, Permanent Waves was shorter. I'd rather have it shorter and a great album like Permanent Waves than you know, along with um, you know songs that I, I don't like on a, a, a watered down album. So I, I guess I'll I'll be I'll be happy with that. But um, I, I I thought that was that was awesome that. Um, you know, Getty just simply said, "If it wasn't good enough, we didn't use it," and they just completely threw it out. So, well, that is good. Ball is empty. So let's 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 um let's move on then to the uh, the second staple of classic rock radio from this album, and that would be Free Will. My favorite part about this song is that I can actually play the opening guitar riff, so that makes me happy. Yeah. Well, there you go. Okay. Yeah, I'll second that. Unlike with Spirit Radio, where I try and even just sing along with the, the, the fill between different parts of the song, and I can't. Free Will, <laughs> I feel like I can do that. Spirit Radio, I get lost every time because it seems like there's way more notes than are possible. <laughs> yes. Agreed. All right. Now, Colby, are you talking about the guitar or, or singing? Because I was going to say, I would love to hear you sing the last verse of Free Will. <laughs> sing the last verse of I've tried that. I almost hurt myself in the, in the truck the other day. <laughs> no, no. I can barely sing the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a, it's a, a song that, you know, like spirit of the radio, it's sort of, um, it, it keeps giving, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a, a hit for them. And it's a song that they always play. But it has a lot going on, and it's—I uh, love it. I mean, I, I think, um, <clears throat> I think you know, people in general. I want to bring something up. Now we're we're talking about all these. I think there is a snobbiness that certain uh, people have in the progressive rock world, where they say when a band comes out with a new album. They never want to give it its its fair share, and you know, give it its due, um, give it give it kudos, if you will. They want they always want to say, "Oh, it's not as good as the old stuff." I remember when we were in high school, the bands, the, the albums that came out of Rush, you know, it was Grace Under Pressure, Power Windows, Hold Your Fire, all that stuff. And then when we when I would go to the concert, I would talk to some older people who, you know, had the, the prog stuff. And I'm like, oh, I, I'm, I'm going to go to the show, but I'm not going to, you know, I, I can't stand the new stuff. And they were really <laughs> adamant about, like, you know, not not liking any of the, the, the new stuff. And, you know, by new, then the new stuff was, you know, Power Windows or something. Um, right. And they would stick their nose up at it. And I think, um, Joe, maybe the other podcast you were listening to, you know, they were in this mindset where, you know, compared to Hemispheres and, and Twenty One Twelve, when you're listening to Spirit of the Radio and Free Will, you know, maybe you, you, you can stick your nose up at it because it's not, you know, a, a 20 minute song and it, it doesn't do certain things that the progressive rockier stuff does. But I mean, these are these are great songs. I mean, I uh, I am I can't say enough about all these, and I um, I, I would hope that anyone who 
And this is a lesson for us too, because I, I, it's a lesson for me going back to the really old stuff. And I was able to appreciate the older stuff that, uh, I, I really, really never had. And, um, you know, I think maybe some people would really need to give some of the later albums a shot and, and see it not for the fact that it wasn't hemisphere part two, just that it was a, it was a different era. And I think most people have, because I mean, these are classic songs. It's not like these are rare songs that you're like, Oh my gosh, why does no one like these songs? I mean, these are, <laughs> these are the rush classic hits, but you know, there's always going to be naysayers that are, um, that are, that are kind of looking at these more, poppy songs and i hate using the word poppy because these are anything but poppy but uh compared to you know 2112 maybe it is poppy but you know they're going to look at these songs well, and um, you know, I, stick I think the nose the songs on them. certainly the, the songs are certainly popular they're they're not poppy right it, it's it's one of those things where you know every so often you get it you get a band like this um you know and and they're there'll be the an album or, or or a song or a couple of songs that you know it, it's sort of accessible to everyone um just through some you know wonderful happenstance where you know whatever sets this particular group of people apart you know they do something that resonates you know it, it's it's still musically very solid you know it's not it's not Britney Spears, but everyone kind of figures it out, you know? And, and I think that's what we're dealing with here with, with some of these radio staple songs. Um, you know, I'm sure, you know, the casual person who, you know, knows a half a dozen Rush songs from hearing them on the radio their entire life would know nothing about different strings or natural science or even hemispheres. And, you know, that's okay. And the other thing I think that's interesting about Rush, you know, if, if you think about the, the other bands, well, it, certainly Yes and Marillion, Yes and Marillion were progressive rock bands. Always, always were. They started out that way. That's, that's, that's their DNA. Rush is interesting because, and, and we've also talked about the effect of, you know, what's your entry point into the, cat into the catalog? And that entry point colors everything else that you see in the catalog. So with Rush, you've got you know the you've you've got this this prog section that you're just coming out of. You have the initial sort of hard rock blues based band thing that they were doing, and then you go into this you know this sort of hybrid thing, which is somewhere in between. And then, you know, this carries through, and I would say, you know, in counterparts, they start to bring the hard rock guys back in. So, you know, if, if you were, you know, if you were young and, and your entry point was, say, counterparts, you know, chances are you're going to be getting off on, you know, something like Fly By Night, for instance, maybe a lot more than, you know, Hemispheres or, or whatever, something like that. And, and I think maybe that's you know, that's what you're dealing with here in that Rush has sort of a, a unique place in that they've, at different times in their career, they were pulling from different different types of fans. And I, I would imagine that their fan base is probably a lot more heterogeneous than, say, the Yes fan base is. That's just my guess. But, you know, 
So I think it's terrific points, Joe, because the you know, when you think about the bands that we've talked about so far up till now, talk about Marillion, yes, King's X. And the thing that I think all three of those bands have in common is that once they kind of find their space, and, and granted, yes, we only covered, you know, the first half of their pre-Trevor Rabin days, which apparently we're not up to speed on all of the lore with them, but that's okay. The, <laughs> once they found... It really is, dude. It really is. Once they kind of find their... Since October, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, right. <laughs> um, but, but nonetheless, once they find their sound, they just kind of get locked in. And d- does it change a little bit here and there? Yeah, it changes a little bit here and there. Maybe they they the way they you know they the way they play obviously is going to evolve. But I don't think any of them even come close to what you're getting at here, Joe. Which is that you know they they were inspired by the music that they loved, and they wrote songs that were in the the framework of of what they loved, and they kept exploring new music. Even when they found a great sound and, and they had it and they rocked it out for two albums and they, they were just made amazing music, they were always kind of moving to the next thing. They were getting influenced by other types of music and they continued to change their sound to, to the point where, you know, I, I find it fascinating that Colby's first introduction to the band was Power Windows because... How do you go from Power Windows and then pop in something like Hemispheres and be like, how is this the same band, right? And 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 so they they have done something that I think very few bands ever have, and I think it does it it, it does make their audience heterogeneous. It, it, it it's what makes them so much more relevant today than I hate to say it than bands like Yes and Marillion because. You know the the yes and Marillion are yes and Marillion. They they're always kind of in that same sort of space where Rush covers so much so much ground, and it's 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 truly an amazing thing to go through their whole catalog and see how different everything is. Absolutely. Do you think? Do you think that ability to to morph and change? Um, and explore new things is is tied to either the fact that we're talking about a trio or the fact that we're talking about a very stable group of of, of guys who have been working together for a very long time, or is it both? Well, you know, I think that I don't know if I really have an answer to that question, but I, I will say that um, you know a lot of times some of the bands that we grew up listening to that we love um, uh, a certain member of the band will leave for a while. Like uh, I'm, I happen to be a big Iron Maiden fan still. I know it's sad, but I am. And uh, for a while, Bruce Dickinson left and he came back and it could to do is cause he wanted to do his own thing. And I know in Judas Priest, Rob Halford did the same thing and right. he, he left, came back. And uh, there's been, a number of people, uh, I'm sure you guys know this better than I, but I'm sure Yes could say the same thing. There's all these like multiple people going in and out. and um, But I think they're, and they're trying to do something else because they are not getting what they want out of 
the band, the main band. And Paul, when you say that, um, you know, Rush has gone through all these, you know, diverse stages, I think that's part reason why they never really uh, uh, split up. And, yeah. uh, and because they had, they always had. Kenny G. Uh, hey, there he is. Uh, because Rush always had that outlet um, to be able to do whatever they wanted. And it seemed like they were all on the same page. Um, Boom. Yeah, that's I think that's it, Tom. And, and you know, because even when you listen to uh, interviews, the, the documentary that is The Rise of Kings is actually really good. It only goes up to signals, but you see interviews from different phases of their career with all three of them talking. And, and you can tell, you're right on, Tom. They're all on the same page. They are, they are completely united in what they are trying to accomplish in their vision. And I think it is a hell of a lot easier to do that with three people than <laughs> just five right. or seven or however many. So, so probably being a trio probably influences that as well. But they were very, they were always in sync, Tom. You're right on. You know, and, and it's funny you should say that because one of the things that you know, has, has sort of come up in, in, in my research is, I don't want to call it disdain, but but it, it, it does come up where, you know, it, it it's perceived perhaps that yes is, or I'm sorry, I keep doing that, that Rush is a little showy off in terms of their their ability to, to add a break in a song. Because, <laughs> because again, they're, they're completely in sync. But, you know, I... I kind of like that stuff personally. Um, yeah. So, like, how badass is the bass breakdown in Free Will? Yeah, I mean, come on. And I, I'll never forget the first time I saw them in concert for the Presto tour. And I'm not sure if any of you guys were there with me at the show. I don't, I don't know if. I would uh, not. So I just remember them playing the song. And I was so juiced that they were playing Free Will. And when it came to, you know, the run right before, there's this sort of like four beat uh, measure, four measures before Getty's bass breakdown. He just like steps away from the mic and he walks up to the front of the stage and does the, the slide before he starts into it and it was just like i was like that is so badass that is amazing <laughs> love it it's awesome so so ken we would love to hear uh I, we we know that you were in your car um we'd love to hear some of your thoughts on um permanent ways now that you're you're in the house and um all all cozy out of the cold yeah, that, that mute button on the car console was a lot of work. So I'd be like in full force laughter and I wouldn't be able to get to the mute button. And, 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 and at this one point, at this one point, like, like Paul's going, oh, Joe, don't, don't you have those controls on your steering wheel? And, and Joe's like, no, no, no. And I, and I'm cracking jokes you guys can't even hear. I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to speed up this fucking conversation with the steering wheel. So, um, <laughs> I was I was all funny, and you guys didn't even know it. So. 
So I'm not, yeah, I can't palaver and drive ever again. It's just not conducive. I, I have to be like right there, spontaneous, right in the moment. Okay. Well, that's, that's good to know. Kids, don't, don't, palaver, don't palaver and drive. It's not, not good for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so, okay, so, 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 but real quick, you know, like, like you guys, I had a later entry. My entry was exit stage left. It was amazing. So you guys are talking about Spirit of the Radio and Jacob's Ladder, and I, I'm, I'm actually, like, hearing in my head, you know, exit stage left versions more than album versions, and, and that's, that's fine with me, you know? That, that's where it's at. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way with... Uh... I, I'm a big fan of Show of Hands, and I, I, I hear a lot of those songs. Am I the year. only person in the world who doesn't listen to live albums as a matter of course? No, I'm, I'm kind of with you on that one, Joe. Oh, you got, I, just, you got it. I, I, w- I will say that Exit Stage Left is a big exception to that rule. Well, oh, because great. of you guys, I bought Exit Stage Left. <laughs> <laughs> then, well, then week. we have to talk about Show of Hands at some point. We have to have a special episode. Because oh, I've boy. listened to Show of Hands more than I've listened to any Rush album. So, getting back to Permanent Waves. Um, <laughs> I get the hint. <laughs> All in good time, Thomas. All in good time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Progressive Palaver. We hope you've enjoyed the start of this conversation on Permanent Waves, and we look forward to finishing out our conversation on the next episode. As always, we encourage your comments, your feedbacks, your thoughts, your questions. You can reach us on all of the major forms of social media. That is Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We are Progpala, P-R-O-G-P-A-L-A, on all of those, or search for Progressive Palaver. You can also email us at progpala at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is, as always, available for download and subscription on both iTunes and Google Play, and we are hosted on SoundCloud. We also have a YouTube channel with some interesting things if you'd like to check that out. So we look forward to getting together with you next time as we continue and finish out our discussion of Permanent Waves.